Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. I'm on a quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Today, I'm talking to Josie, the DM of the actual play podcast Short Quest Long Rest, a weekly show playing through the Rime of the Frost Maiden campaign. Josie has an incredible grasp on encounter design and is a skilled narrator of the scenes her party find themselves in. Her abilities, along with the rest of the cast, result in episodes that are engaging and very well produced. Enjoy! Amongst ourselves, we we call ourselves squalor. It's sort of like an in in joke because we try and do something that's good. I am a baker currently, former Navy fire controlman. I am working on a bachelor's in television, film, new media, specifically production. Started podcasting just for fun, and it is actually kind of something that like we're we're super invested in. So you've done a couple of podcasts in your past, but tell us about how you got into D&D in the first place. So I was introduced to D&D piecemeal, uh, sort of through failed attempts by friends initially to get 3.5 campaigns started. I did a brief dip into 4E, where I was going to the local library and meeting with a group there that were teaching me. And finally stuck the landing with 5th edition. I went through a lot of the same awkward stages people do with the game. I was at one point the edgelord, the uh-huh. lone wolf assassin, uh, yep. the murder hobo. You know, when you're new, you just think that everything you make is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Looking back on myself in the early days of my D&D experience, there's that odd mixture of, oh, you sweet baby, and oh, there's so much cringe there, oh... Yeah, it sounds like the greatest hits there. Uh, the Edgelord, the Murder Hobo, the Lone Wolf, you know, uh, you went through all the phases. Yeah, and I went through them rapid fire because to become a good D&D player, you have to know what quote unquote good D&D is. There's no perfect game. Mm-hmm. But there is understanding yourself and your relationships with people and D&D kind of forces you to really confront how you interact in a team environment that, you know, even some jobs don't give you that opportunity. So True. True. So what is your uh, DMing experience like then? You said you you kind of tried to start a few games in a few different systems, but when did you ultimately say, I'm taking the step behind the screen, I'm in control? I never started running 3.5 or 4E. That was purely friends inviting me to games and them just, you know, the bottom falling out. Fifth edition is where I started, and I chiefly started with the Waterdeep Dragon Heist campaign, mm-hmm. specifically the Summer Path, if you're familiar at all with that. Waterdeep Dragon Heist has four different versions of the game you can play right for each season. Yes, and Summer, by far my favorite, not purely because I picked it first. I had run a lot of one-shots, and I'd done a couple of small campaign stuff, but this was truly the, my first time doing a, a module. It was also my first time doing Adventures League. I'd actually showed up to be a player and instead of, oh, hey, I'm just going to sit down at this table with eight or nine other people and watch this DM struggle, there was a general request from the guy running the Adventures League. Hey, uh, we need DMs. Can anyone volunteer? Uh, Let me go buy a book from the counter. Give me five minutes. Let's get started, eh? (laughs) Did they at least give you a discount? Yeah. 
Yeah. Good. So how did Squalor, how did Short Quest Long Rest start off? How's it going? And where did you come up with your unique intro and your spin on the Icewind Dale and the, the Rhyme of the Frostmaiden campaign setting? We had initially started recording before the Icewind Dale module was released. I had been following and have long followed James Hayek's work on D&D Beyond, and he was doing something really very interesting where he was kind of doing a dark comedy mini-series up to the release of Icewind Dale where, you know, you could start players off at level one, and here's a adventure to take them from the city of Luskin to the Dale. And so I, I have to give him full credit for a lot of those those early ideas as far as the path that my players followed actually getting to the Dale. I then, as they got further into it, started folding that Icewind Mail series into Icewind Dale, uh, able to transition seamlessly. The in-joke with Icewind Mail is that every single person that they are delivering packages to, or for, are actually villains or prominent characters in other earlier campaign modules. So you're delivering a package for Jarlaxle, you're delivering a package for the Black Spider. Every villain in D&D canon is like, hey, can you deliver this to this one frozen place that hardly anyone goes to, but we specifically need you to? Yeah, that is pretty funny. It's like the, the villain convention or something. You would think that Waterdeep itself would be fantasy LA. Luskin is, is fantasy LA. All the big names see each other on the street and kind of wave and go on their way. As for how Squalor started, Dane and I, who does a lot of our editing, all of our editing, I love the man. Remember I was saying earlier that I did a lot of playing on voice servers for different streamers, etc. Mm -hmm. I had at the time transitioned from ARC to Conan Exiles, and I was doing text-based roleplay there. He and I wound up in the same Discord for that server, and we were talking about different projects we were doing. And we both realized that we had this shared interest in podcasting. And we're like, hey, why don't we start up a campaign together? He knew the right people to bring in. I was willing to DM. And that is how we got started. And now a word from our sponsor. If you've been thinking about getting into the podcasting game, but don't have a large budget or a ton of industry expertise already, Anchor.fm is a great place to get started. Why use Anchor? It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. And you can start monetizing your show immediately with no minimum audience size or reach. Anchor really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Let's get back to the show. I feel like as far as your DMing style is concerned, and I mentioned this to you as we were kind of chatting about collaborating, it almost reminded me of being in fifth grade and sitting there and listening to my teacher read us The Hobbit. You know, it was just a very narrative style and, and it was very immersive from the get-go. That's one thing I've noticed that you're really good at is setting the scene and, and immersing the players. But what are some of the other things that you think you bring to the table that are unique and interesting? I'm honestly doing what every other DM out there is is doing. I am I'm telling stories. As for how I tell them, I believe my pacing comes both from being a an avid devourer of audiobooks. 
having practice in conveying what a character is thinking or feeling through my voice through again online role playing and even before that text based role playing there was even a time for about 2 or 3 years where i was playing a text based role play every member on that forum was a member of the nobility and the only way we communicated with one another was not through writing these very intricate scenes but through letter writing where your entire goal was to try and uh, sway them to your way of thinking and whoever sort of had the most number of supporters by the end of a certain period on the server was sort of the new royal that was a lot of uh, a lot of fun for probably the most nerdiest subset of history nerds Additionally, an avid addiction to Jack London, you know, his books Call of the Wild and White Fang, a lot of Philip Pullman. Uh, the Golden Compass actually influences both how I describe the North, and especially the Aurora, and how I handle familiars. And I can also thank Anne McCaffrey for how I handle dragons. Miri is an Anne McCaffrey dragon with a little more pizzazz. As far as the combat strategies that you employ, you, you talked to me a lot about some of the books that have been big influences on you. So for everyone listening, what are the ways that you make combat engaging and interesting? And what are some of your big influences and strategies? My biggest influence and in strategy would be Keith Amon's blog and book, The Monsters Know What They're Doing. I think it's a dungeon master's best friend. He writes a lot about how when you look at a monster stat block, you shouldn't just be seeing strength, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, etc. You should be deriving personality based not only on that, but a combination of that, their abilities, and their description and environment. You know, think of these as actual creatures that are part of the ecology of this world. And that's not so different as to how you would think of a player. If your character is low wisdom, they're not going to pick up on a lot not going to be making the wisest choices. And so you make that reflect in your monster. If your monster is low wisdom, it's going to take longer to realize, oh crap, I'm overwhelmed. I'm in danger. I need to flee the battlefield. Whereas a high intelligence creature that also has a high wisdom is going to be far more likely to spend a long time studying and stalking the party. Yeah, in instead of it just being like spontaneous combat because there should be an encounter, considering exactly where all of these creatures fit into the world and then deciding how, how to weave them into your games that way. That's some high level stuff and I love it. One source he hasn't covered yet and I really want to see him tackle it is Kobold Press's Creature Codex and both the Toma Beasts 1 and 2. If you're a DM, absolutely, those are books to get your hands on. They scratch a lot of itches that official content doesn't. If you're looking for additional fey, additional celestials, fiends, etc. If you're looking for stuff based on different world mythologies, they have you covered. One of my favorite examples that you can apply Amon's principles to is a quote-unquote plant monster. It's actually a celestial from the Creature Codex. Mm -hmm. It is a flower called the Ecstatic Bloom, this huge creature with glowing petals that can telepathically communicate with everyone within 120 feet. And it gives off this aura of calm and serenity. This is a plant with a 20 intelligence and a 19 wisdom. And its descriptors are all about how it is very, very fatherly to all the other plants that it sort of helps to grow around it. It's a healer. It has an AoE healing ability. It can detect whether you are good or not. It can stun people who are not of good alignment if it chooses. 
And my favorite thing about this thing is in addition to its ability to heal and to communicate telepathically, it shoots laser beams. As all good flowers do. I can think of a hundred different things to do with that 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 kind of monster, but I love that you're thinking about it, you know, being a patron or, or whatever it might be. That's uh, very creative. I would love to see it be a, a pastor in someone's D&D campaign's church. You've talked a little bit about looking into these monster stat blocks and kind of determining how to best use them. Walk us through the process of planning one of your most recent combats and how you kind of incorporated these things while also making sure to keep the encounter balanced. If I'm going to be building an encounter from scratch, my encounters are higher CR than the DMG would suggest. And that is because, you know, your your best guide for how to build your encounters is to look at your party. If you build an encounter and you're just so proud of it and you throw it up against five or six different groups, you know, as a fellow DM, every single one of those groups is going to handle that encounter differently. Some are going to struggle, some are not. You yep. have to be flexible. And a big part of that comes from making sure everyone has something to do. If you're throwing ranged creatures at the party, something that can't be reached very easily, whether it's flying, whether it stays up high on ledges, whether it has a climb skill and it's skittering on the ceiling. If you have a solid fighter, like our boy Krellick, our lad does not have ranged options aside from maybe picking up a rock and hucking it. Am I building my encounter for the people around him or am I going, okay, so in the module, this encounter is not written to have something that he can easily access. If I'm keeping this encounter true to the module, I'm going to have to give him something else to do. So now where am I putting that creature? Or if it is in a designated location with a battle map in the module, what environmental factors am I adding or strategic choices of the enemy am I adding to make him feel like he is contributing? A story about how this happened and how you can avoid it. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard lesson to, to learn other than doing it yourself a few times. As a as a DM, as a newer DM, I think it's important, like I said, to get that you know have that communication between your players and, and yeah. yourself. And it's like at the end of the day, the DM's job isn't to kill the players; it's to tell a story. Correct. So a lot, I, I I've been part of. You hear a lot of uh, jokes about players being murder hobos, but I, I've had a DM who was a murder hobo, and he got bored of his own campaign and would just kill off the players. It's like there's no fun to that. So. <laughs> No, no fun to that at all. So I, I try to, you know, I, I, I message all my players a week before the session and right after the session, like, uh, how do you like the direction we're going in? And I, I establish that communication pretty early on. That's honestly uh, really helpful. I think I love texting my players and asking them how things went and getting their feedback, kind of like you were saying. On the other point you mentioned, though, the murder hobo DM, uh, I, I would suggest that if anyone feels that way as a DM, maybe it's time to just like take a step back and take a break and ask someone else to take over for a little bit. Or, you know, maybe it's time to start a different game if, if you're disinterested and your players are too. So, yeah, there's definitely better ways to solve that. Yeah, um, 100, 110%. Uh, I, he, we were running a campaign... The thing is, is when we first started playing D anD D, and a lot of my friends and I were we were younger than our, our that old DM of ours, and mm -hmm. uh, we had no we knew nobody else who, who D anD D or DM'd, and so we were we were very 
very uh, stupid about it. We would get killed off, and then the moment we got killed, we would run back to our house, type up a whole new character, and be like, I'm ready to go again just to get... This went on for about like a year or two. I was like, I made so many characters. It was it was crazy. And now, a word from our sponsor. If you've been thinking about getting into the podcasting game, but don't have a large budget or a ton of industry expertise already, Anchor.fm is a great place to get started. Why use Anchor? It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. And you can start monetizing your show immediately with no minimum audience size or reach. Anchor really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Let's get back to the show. What are some things that you would go back and tell yourself before you started DMing, you know, when you're getting ready to, to run the game for the first time? I would tell myself that um, the DM guide is more of a layout or a more of a guide versus mm-hmm. what you need to do. Yeah, uh, I, I tried to like go buy the book for almost everything uh, when I first started. That it was a lot more stressful than what it needed to be as as a newer DM. So just, just kind of if it, if it makes sense in your world and it makes sense that it won't break the game too much, I, I would say just allow it. There's a lot of things that I didn't allow in the beginning. I was like, "Oh, the book says you can't do this. The book says you can't do that." There's stuff that I do use the book for. To kind of balance everything, but at the end of the day, like if it's something that makes sense and it's something that's not too much of a problem, just allow it. I think that's that's really good advice because it would be very easy to be overwhelmed by looking at the dungeon master's guy to be like, I got to read all of this to like know how to do it, you know? Yeah, which is yeah. not true. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not it's not like um, Law and Order where like this is how you have to play DM uh, Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. It's more more of a reference, in my opinion. These are their stories. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. When you, you mentioned you're kind of a procrastinator a little bit, but what is kind of your pre-game checklist? You know, what stuff do you have to have ready to run the game? And then what stuff do you have in front of you when you're running the game? And it could be both like in person and when you're getting ready to stream something. So after the end of every session, I open up a notepad. And I write down kind of what the, end, uh, the story of that session. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether the players follow that that notepad's directions is completely up to the players. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I kind of go over where they'll be, who they'll talk to, um, the missions that will be offered. One will be always one mission will always be a main quest for the story, and other two will be side quest stuff like that. When I open up that notepad, I type the name of the campaign, the session number. And I don't touch that same notepad because I procrastinated everything to that Sunday before the session. And sometimes, if I'm really lucky, I'll touch it on Monday. Uh, so, and then I'll have that same notepad up as I stream. So, uh, when I'm streaming, and I, I, it bugs me because the content creator and entertainer that I like to be doesn't interact with the chat as much as I'm reading from a notepad. Uh, the lines of each NPC that they'll talk to and stuff like that. So, for those who have been to my streams during Rise of Lazarus, I apologize if I don't interact with you. <laughs> <laughs> it can be hard, man. I've talked to a few people. Um, I talked to a guy named Maka a couple episodes ago, and he he just like feels overwhelmed sometimes with the chat, but he does an okay job. 
the people I play with, uh, three to four of them are my moderators, actually. Okay. So like they'll 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 run the chat and everything and bounce back as players. So I'm fortunate for that. But also as like the streamer that I am, I like to like talk to the people who are chatting. It's like oh, I can't do both sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it bugs me a little bit, but at the end of the day, I'm trying to tell a story that hopefully the viewer, I, they're coming back. Hopefully, hopefully for the story because uh, this. I'm not doing much else as a streamer for that. It's it's really cool to see people come back every week for it. It's it's one thing that they come back for video games, but I never thought people would come back for Dungeons and Dragons every week. But uh, I've been pulling some. Uh, there's times when I pull better numbers on D and D streams than I do on my normal stream, so I, it's really cool to see. Nice. I like the campaign journal idea that you're kind of talking about. Um, I, that's something I could probably do more of. I, I had a player yesterday uh, sell an item that I gave him. I was like, when did I give you that? And I had to pull up. Uh, and he was like, you, pull, you gave it to me during so-and-so. I was like, pulled up the notes. Like, oh, there it is. Uh, yeah. It's, I, I keep it there for reference. Uh, I have every session I've ever written so far in this giant notepad. Um, and I, if I ever need references, I'll go back to that. It helps me out because I'm not the best at- uh, you can find us at SQLR Pod on Twitter. You can also Google search us. We are on Podbean, Short Quest, Long Rest. Eric, Adam, and Dane, Rian, Felgren, and Krellick. The reason that we were able to transition so smoothly into doing SQLR podcast together is they were already a working team together on a project called Nexus Watch, a uh, science fiction multiverse story that is worth listening to. Additionally, I was part of, am still part of, but we're no longer recording, Big Dice Energy. You mentioned stuff you were doing at your university with LGBTQ plus people as well. The project itself, is it something that you have started? Is it something you're working on with other people? Yeah. Um. So actually, it's it's a small one. For my script writing course, I did a, a documentary script As our midterm, you know, we were told, hey, find a subject that you want to do a documentary about, do three interviews, and write a a script for it. And I decided to tackle LGBTQ plus identity and Dungeons and Dragons and how those two worlds overlap. Mm. So I I found some volunteers on Twitter and thankfully one of my friends in one of the games that I play in and sat down, interviewed, did transcripts, talked about not only their experience with D&D and representation in media, but their own stories and how they were able to explore that at the table. Even just talking about, tell tell me about your experiences with D&D. What is the baseline here for then using that as a platform to explore questions of identity. Thanks so much for joining us, Josie. And thank you for having me on, Derek. It's been a lot of fun. Sorry to rattle your ear off at times. It's all right. That's what I expect. That's what we're here for. Thanks for joining us on How Not to DM. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and share the podcast with your friends and family around your table. For episode guest announcements, link to our Discord community, blog, and social media accounts, visit at HN, the number two, DM on Twitter. If there's a DM out there who you think would be cool to hear from on the show, email us at hownottodm at gmail.com and we'll be in touch. Our awesome intro and outro music is by my good friend Torin. And until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.